This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast, the Buffalo Bandits have won eight of nine, and it truly is a party. The Seals are the first team out west to clinch a playoff spot. The Mammoth improved their playoff position with two wins over the Warriors. We'll look at the road to the playoffs out west, and we'll also discuss what to do with Rule 41.4. All that more on OTCB. What is good, lacrosse fans, and welcome to another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast here on SoundCloud and NLL Radio. My name is Teddy Jenner. If you want to get a hold of me here at the show, super duper duper super duper easy. Email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com, or you can find me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar. Super easy. Just add an E on the end of cross. It's a lacrosse show, therefore a bad lacrosse pun. But before we move on, there is some breaking news out of the West. That's right. I've decided to take my talents, or at least the talents of this podcast, to the fine folks over at the Lacrosse Flash. We've worked out a little partnership. Give this podcast another platform, a place to grow, a place to get more ears, and I couldn't be more happy to work with some great people who continue to put out top-end, high-caliber content. And I'm super excited for OTCB and The Flash to merge and expect some great things coming in the future. As of right now, we can't tell you much, but there's some things in the pipeline. So uh, the podcast will still be on SoundCloud. It'll still be on NLL Radio, but you'll also be able to find it Uh, on the Flash website, and we'll be providing some little clips and highlights and things like that as these shows go on. So, uh, again, just wanted to thank Tyson and the crew for bringing me on. Uh, We are looking forward to providing a great partnership for you as the lacrosse years go along. But let's focus on the National Lacrosse League and get into things and what was a fantastic Week 15 in the NLL. And if you weren't watching... Uh, You missed some craziness in the NLL. And I'm not sure how to react to the play of the Vancouver Warriors on Saturday night. I don't want to be the guy who rains on parades and, and the sky is falling. But the performance of the Warriors Saturday night has to be very alarming. On the other side of the coin... The performance of the Colorado Mammoth was very inspiring. It was very refreshing. And hopefully it is a sign of things to come as this team works towards the playoffs. And as mentioned in the opening, we'll talk about the Western scenario as this show goes on. Uh, We'll get to the East maybe later, but a lot of the East is already settled. And we could really find out um, all four teams in the East by the end of this weekend. Uh, But the West is a little more confusing And many things can still happen out West because the strength of some team schedules is a lot harder than others, making the road to the playoffs maybe a little more difficult than others. And that difficulty could allow the standings to change as they sit right now. So we'll get into that a little bit later, but let's start out West. Nope, let's start out East. And the Buffalo Bandits, they have won eight of their last 10, including eight of nine. The last time they lost 
was to the Georgia Swarm. The last time they lost before that was an 18-13 loss to the Rochester Nighthawks. They've clinched a playoff spot. They're battling with Georgia currently for the first place spot overall in the East and number one overall in the National Lacrosse League. They currently hold a one-game lead over Georgia, having both played 15 games. So they only have three games left, those two teams, but they're already in the playoffs, and I would imagine that they'll finish 1-2. Toronto's got a long way to go to try to catch them. They're three back of Buffalo, two back of Georgia, and they had a very, very tough weekend this past weekend, losing to both Georgia and Buffalo, where they scored a combined 11 goals. We'll talk to Pat Gregoire. He's back from vacation. Uh, We'll talk to him about the Toronto Rock uh, later on in the show. But the Buffalo Bandits are the team that is having a lot of fun. And when you're having fun, you tend to throw a party. It's a party, it's a party, it's a party. It's a party, it's a party, it's a party. That noise you're hearing is 25 happy Buffalo Bandits players cheering and singing in the locker room as Dane Smith fires up the party. He joins us now on the show. Dane, how are you, my man? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Uh, I'm pretty good. Uh, first, out of the box, who started the it's a party, it's a party, it's a party lifestyle within your locker room? Oh, uh, Honestly, I don't want to take full credit, but uh, I think myself and Josh Byrne, uh, both, uh, we were looking at home, thinking of what our winning song should be, and every year it's kind of a little bit different, and we kind of were all over social media. We saw some um, something, some basketball team doing it. Um, and we're like, this is good. We should, we should do this. So, um, that's what we decided and it's kind of stuck. Uh, do you have to carry that big little ghetto boom box around with you everywhere you go? No, well, pretty, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good sign. Uh, last game I got MVP of the game, so I couldn't really carry that and the belt. Um, oh, tough life, but, Dave. Uh, tough life. You <laughs> know, it's pretty, it's pretty cool. Uh, we kind of turn off the lights, and, like, the boom box has lights, so it's kind of like a party. And, and you get John Tavares in there, too. It's got to be good to see that guy dancing. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing, yeah. I remember <laughs> uh, play, play, playing with him. People used to say he used to dance around the room all the time. We haven't seen him in a while, and obviously getting to see him do the kind of newer moves now, it's pretty funny to see uh, how much fun is it to be on this bandit squad right now? You guys are eight and two in your last ten. You're tops in the East. You've secured a playoff spot. Uh, it's got to be a good time in Banditland. It's definitely a good time. Uh, obviously, we're not done yet. Uh, we know it's still pretty early. Um, we, yeah, we clinched playoffs, but we we want that number one seed, and um, it, it's, it's good. It feels like 2016 again when we kind of made it to the finals. Although I think our team's way deeper this year, so um, we're looking forward to the challenge. And I, I know a lot of teams want to beat us. And, uh, we know we're not done yet. You guys have added some new pieces. Uh, Corey Small, Chris Cluche, Chase Fraser, uh, Josh Burns now in the mix again, healthy. Uh, this is a very deep team. How important has it been for this culture of this group to bring in some fresh blood? We're we're very deep in, yeah. Um, it, it was good to kind of change it up. Uh, we haven't changed a lot of things up in the past few years, so it was, the change was good. Um, obviously having the number – uh, three and four draft picks this year, and obviously picking up Vino <laughs> definitely helped. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it was definitely good to bring in new pieces. Uh, 
Uh, we have so many deep players. We can take in, uh, somebody in and out of the lineup at any point and still be really deep. So that's kind of nice. And when injuries happen, like myself in the beginning of the year and Josh uh, midway season, um, guys picked it up, and um, that's where we are where we are. How is your health these days? You're feeling pretty good? Yeah, I'm feeling. I'm definitely feeling good. I still have to look after uh, my body. It's still not. I want. I don't want to say it's not 100, percent but it's it's kind of nagging me here and there. And double headers are a little bit tough, but yeah. um, I, you know when I'm playing, and I'm I'm happy to be out there with the guys. It was it was tough sitting out those two games, and uh, I'm I'm just I'm just happy that I'm playing again. How uh, how happy are you to see a guy like Thomas Hogarth having success in his first real year out the front door? It's awesome. You know what? Uh, losing Craig England last year, I know he didn't really maybe put the ball in the net as much as uh, Hoagie is this year, but losing a guy like that who's a glue guy who banged and didn't need the ball was was tough for us. You, you know what? You you see so many players coming out of junior and uh, being the top guy and guys, and they don't want to bang, they don't want to bang the first year. They think they they deserve to have the ball, and it's it's hard in this league now having just like three offensive righties and three offensive lefties or whatever it is. So it was nice to see Hogan just kind of come in and be like, I don't need the ball. I'll let me bang for you. And he, like everybody's saying, he's the garbage man. Uh, we, we kept saying at the beginning of the year, he picks up the scraps and he puts them in that. And it's awesome to see he, he does the little things. You're in your seventh year in the National Cross League now. Uh, you're closing in on the big 30. Um, how have you been able to keep yourself uh, motivated as the years go on? Yeah, it's crazy. You know what? I'm only 26 years old, turning 27 uh, this year at the end of September. So it's kind of it's kind of weird to say that I've been in the league for seven years. But uh, yeah, it's kind of weird. Obviously, um, I know Josh, my roommate, he's only two years younger than me, and I've been in the league way longer than him. So it's kind of weird to see him that way. But I definitely need to take care of my body a lot more, and it's just it's a lot different. And being on obviously, I think the third, I've been on the sorry, the, the band is the second longest uh, on our team. So it's kind of weird in that sense, but I've taken a more of a leadership role and I've accepted it. And I've, I think I'm doing a pretty good job at it. Yeah. That was the next question I wanted to ask you. How have you adapted yourself to becoming sort of one of the more vocal leaders within that group? Definitely. I, you know, when I take uh, full responsibility for that and I, and I like it, I enjoy it. it uh, it's a little bit different. Sometimes to get frustrated and it's a little bit tough, but at times it's, it, it's good. It's um, I try to get everybody up on the offense. I know obviously Sean Evans being the great player he is. It, it, I, I try to take as much advice from him and I, I know he listens to me and I think it's just like a good chemistry throughout. I, I think our team is what's great about our team. We have so many leaders on our team and everybody can say whatever they want. And um, we're not getting down on each other when we're down a few goals. And even when we're down Toronto, we didn't score in the first uh, quarter. And um, previous years we, we'd get down on each other and we just stuck together, stuck with our game plan and uh, we came up with a win. Uh, when it goes back to that January 26th loss to Rochester where they put up 18 on you guys, you guys have been on a run ever since then that uh, not many teams can stop you guys. What's been the key for your guys' success? Definitely sticking to the game plan, yeah. uh, focusing on the little things. We we know we know there's going to be games like that where we kind of um, have lapses, and um, at least we got to the way early. Hopefully we don't we don't see that again. But um, I think just sticking together, uh, we're a tight group, and um, just not getting on each other. Um, that's a big thing. Obviously, there's going to be – it's a game of runs. And as long as we stick together and um, like we have been, I, I think we'll be fine. What makes Core Life Eatery so special? <laughs> 
you know what? It, it's awesome. Uh, it's one of those things that it's kind of like a Chipotle, but way healthier uh, with yeah. salads and stuff like that. <laughs> uh, they they definitely do it right. And if you haven't been before, I, I highly suggest it. I know it's usually just in the States, but uh, it's a great place. Yeah, Denver's got mod market. So I think we need a mod market versus core life kind of one-on-one battle. Yeah, I think so too. It'd be good. Uh, I always see uh, some of the Colorado guys uh, posting about that. So uh, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> um, you guys have won a, a couple big OT games in the last few weeks, one against Saskatchewan uh, on the road and then on the road in Philadelphia. How much do those um, overtime games prepare you for this late playoff run? It's a, it's amazing. Um, I think those are huge. Uh, just kind of get it out. Um, those are one of those things that were, I feel like Saskatchewan game, we knew it was going to be a battle. I think every game has been a, overtime game against those guys so um to beat those guys it, it was good and, and overtime it, sh- it shows that your team kind of can uh stick it out and it shows kind of like a championship building kind of team where uh, i think feel like in previous years we kind of just let those ones slip and those ones are huge um character wins i feel like you've mentioned your roommate josh Byrne a couple times um you guys have formed quite a strong bond haven't you yeah, definitely. Uh, obviously, after losing my good buddy, uh, Ryan Banesh, uh, a few years ago, having Josh come in, and um, I feel like we've uh, we, we've lived together the past two years. We've, we've been together all the time. We're, we don't do much uh, not together, and I think even our chemistry on the floor is, is really good as well. So it's, it's kind of nice to see, and he's one of the most electric players that I've ever seen, so it's nice to have that on the other side. Who came up with the uh, the Dumb and Dumber and the Wayne's World and the Bandit Boys? Who's the the master behind behind some of those really creative uh, marketing ideas? I'd like to say yes, but it's definitely not <laughs> us. Um, it was definitely the media people. I know Kelsey and uh, their whole media. Everybody behind them, uh, they they kind of did that, and and everybody's loving it. So it's kind of mm. it's kind of funny to see. I I didn't think I'd be a good actor, and it took me about eighty tries for each one. So I can't take full credit. It took me a lot of time. So, um, but it, it came out well, and I, I think it's we're we're just having fun. So it's good. Um, before I let you go, obviously a big part of your guys' success. And I don't want to say the only part of your success, but one of the big parts has been the addition of Matt Vince. How has having him out there on the floor every game help the confidence of this group going forward it's incredible <laughs> uh, yeah. people say what, what's the difference from last year and this year and yeah we joke around saying that but it, it really is like he he's a, he's a corner piece to our team he's a huge piece to our team and um he's an older vet too we don't have that many vets on our team i think we're a younger team and uh, having his voice um and like his backbone it's it's kind of one of those things where you slip up like he has your back kind of thing like we i feel like we haven't really had that before and it's kind of nice to see and he he is there's not there's a reason that he's the best goal in the league and we really see it and it it, it makes us as offensive guys um frustrated at practice but it, it only helps us in the long run so it's it's awesome uh awesome to have him here and we're, we're excited to continue on you guys got a buy this week with practice tonight. How intense do you expect uh, Kilgore and JT to put you through the paces tonight? Uh, it's going to be pretty tough. You know what? Yeah. Uh, they try to hold us ac- accountable, and obviously we, we're supposed to be doing stuff on our own time, but I know a lot of people have family and, and jobs and whatnot. So I, I think today practice is going to be pretty tough, and then uh, we'll work on more system stuff uh, next Tuesday when we have practice again. So, um, I mean – I guess we'll see. I'm hoping we do that, but 
I guess we'll see. Um, you're part of the PLL Chaos. Uh, are you excited for the venture into the pro field game again? I'm super excited. Uh, obviously, going from the MLL to this uh, PLL thing, it's it's awesome opportunity. I feel like they're doing a great job at marketing in and everything, just in the sense where um, they moved their schedule just so we could be done NLL and go into that where we're not missing games and stuff like that. So it's really cool to see, and I'm really excited to get it on the way. And I, I really like my team. I, I mean, I feel like everyone likes their teams, but um, having our team being a lot of Canadians, a lot of NLL players, it, it shouldn't be very hard to um, gel together, I feel like. I feel like we're going to be a good team, and um, I'm super excited. Dan, always a pleasure, my man. Uh, enjoy practice tonight. Uh, keep the party going, and we'll talk to you. I appreciate it. There is, that's Dane Smith of the Buffalo Bandits, the top team in the National Lacrosse League. They have a bye this weekend, so they get a little rest before they head into a major stretch of their season, the last three games of the regular season. And in those three games, they will play the Toronto Rock, the New England Black Wolves, before finishing up against the San Diego Seals, which very well could be a NLL Cup preview. As the teams sit right now, they are the top two teams in their respective divisions, and it could finish with those two teams squaring off, and wouldn't that be something? Bandits and Seals for an NLL Cup championship. But Dane Smith and this group are playing some well above average lacrosse, and... They are getting scoring from all over the map. And when you just look at the offensive numbers for this group, it's staggering. Dane Smith and Sean Evans are both over 80 points. Corey Small in his first year with the Bandits has 62. Then you have a group of Jordan Durston, Thomas Hogarth, and Chris Cloutier, and Chase Fraser, and Josh Byrne, who all over 30 points. Throwing rookie Ian McKay, who's got 25, and defenseman Steve Priolo, who has 22 points out of the back end. And this group is lethal, they are dangerous, and they can score in many, many ways. And they've been putting that offensive weaponry to full force. Maybe not so much against Toronto on Saturday night when their offense only scored eight, but that was an incredible goaltender's duel between Vino and Rosie. But they put up 12, 12, 16, 12, 19, and 15 in their last six wins. Seven wins, even. They're putting up numbers. And they are forcing teams to play at their level and at their speed. And unfortunately, in the last few weeks, not many teams have been able to outrun them. They've been able to stay close. But it's not too often that this Bandit squad has been on the losing end of the scoreboard. And you heard Daner say it when I asked him if a lot of their success has to do with Matt Vince. And I think you would say yes. A lot of their success is because of Matt Vince. He's second in the league in goals against average. He's first in the league in save percentage. He's first in saves, first in minutes played, and he's first in wins. Everybody knew as soon as the deal was made or the signing was made for Vino to go to Buffalo that they were going to be instant contenders. 
Then they added Ian McKay and Matt Gilray in the draft. They acquired Corey Small. They get Chris Cloutier from Philadelphia, who was the number two overall draft pick. And the offense took a huge makeover. And when you can get guys who evolve their game, like Thomas Hogarth and like Ian McKay, and guys who continue to take their game to another level, like Steve Priolo, it just makes playing lacrosse in that environment that much more fun. And this is a group that, as you see, after every game they win, they are having fun. They are partying. They are a group to be feared. And I think as this playoff run continues and we get into the playoffs, they are going to be a very tough team to beat, especially at home. And the way it sits right now in the first round, the Bandits would be taking on the New England Black Wolves in that one-game semifinal. They've already played the Black Wolves once and put an absolute whooping on them to the tune of 15-5. to And they'll only play them one more time. We said it April 20th, second to last game of the year. But I would be very, very afraid to play the Buffalo Bandits in the postseason. John Tavares and Richie Kilgore have this group. Oh, throw in, throw in uh, Rusty Kruger in there who's been doing some bench work for them as well. This is a group that is peaking at the right time. They are playing some of the best lacrosse we've seen out of any team all year long. And they keep finding ways to win. The overtime win against Saskatchewan was a big boost for them. The comeback win against Philadelphia was a huge boost for them. And we said it. When you can get other players scoring, when you can find that depth, when guys are out for injuries, you can have other players stepping up, that is a sign of a team that is to be feared. On the other hand, when you look at a team like Toronto, they lose Adam Jones for two games and their offense completely goes in the tank. That is a team that is struggling. That is a team that's not built for depth. The Buffalo Bandits are a team built for depth. So much so that they're having to healthy scratch top-level players that would be a bona fide starter on other rosters. And so Steve Dietrich has done an incredible job with this group. And he continues to do a great job with this group. And I'm very interested to see if this is the year this bandit squad can put it all together and make a serious run towards an NLL Cup. They were close a couple years ago. We all remember that tough loss to Saskatchewan when Jeff Cornwall scored in the dying seconds. But don't forget, just a couple seasons ago, the Bandits missed the playoffs. Last year, they missed the playoffs. They finished 8-10 and 10 and didn't make the postseason. And now, one year later, they are at the top of the standings. Go back even further. Two years ago, 2017, they finished 6-12. and 12, Dead last in the East, missed the playoffs. It wasn't until 2016 when they made that run to the championship that we all thought this was a team that was going to contend for quite some time. They got in some goaltender troubles in the last couple of years. They haven't been solid on the back end. They faced some injuries. And back-to-back last place finishes in the East 
have allowed them to draft the likes of Josh Byrne, Ian McKay, and Matt Gilray. And teams that have been able to rebound quickly. And in the world of the National Lacrosse League, to go from a championship team, caliber team at least, to back-to-back last place in your division, to now rebuild, retool, and get back to the top of the standings, that is a remarkable feat. Those three draft picks, plus the insertion of Matt Vince this year and Corey Small, the resurgence of Thomas Hogarth, makes the Buffalo Bandits one of the stories of the year. Now, the other story of the year has to be the San Diego Seal. And the Seals are putting everybody on notice that they are a true team to be reckoned with. They've won four straight, seven of their last ten. They're eight and four and have a two-game lead over both Calgary and Saskatchewan. They're third overall in the entire league. They've only played 12 games. They have three games in hand on Buffalo and Georgia. There is a legitimate opportunity for this San Diego Seals team, and it's going to be tough. It is definitely not going to be easy. But there is a legitimate shot over these next six games that the San Diego Seals could claw and scratch and fight their way to the number one overall seed. Now, again, it's going to be tough. Their next three games are on the road at Calgary this weekend, and then a back-to-back, one of the toughest back-to-backs in Georgia on Friday and then in New England on Saturday. That is a tough haul. If they can get through that stretch and, say, win two of three, they're in an incredible position over their final three games to make a run. Now, those final three home games, no easy walk in the park. Rush, Mammoth, Bandits to end their season. Again, we're going to talk about West playoff stretches here in a minute. But I just want to reiterate the fact of how good this Seals team is. We all know Frank Chiliano. We all know Austin Stotts. Those are two huge stories for this club. But it is the veteran leadership of Garrett Billings, Dan Dawson, Kyle Buchanan, Cam Holding. It is a group that believes in the unit. They don't care who's going to be the number one threat. They don't care who's going to be the MVP. They just want to go out and win games. There's no personal agendas within this group. And as much as the Seals are probably one of the stories of the year, the year that Garrett Billings is having is as remarkable as they come. Sure, it would have been awesome if GB13 could have gotten to 100 points for the fourth time in his career, but he's probably going to get upwards of 80. And that is remarkable in itself considering the last time he played was 2017 and he only played four games for the Vancouver Stealth, put up 14 points. The year before that, he had 60 points. The year before that, he only had 36 in a few games with New England. 
So his numbers were awesome when he came into the year. He went 83-75 and then three straight 100-point seasons. Then knee injuries caught up with him. Family issues caught up with him. And he kind of had a bit of a drop. He got to Vancouver, put up 60 points. Another injury took him out of the league for a year and a half. Now he's back. And he's probably playing some of the best lacrosse we've seen from Garrett Billing. And oftentimes, as guys get older, they have to evolve their game. Garrett Billings has always been a pass-first guy. He still has that mentality. And he's now evolving himself into one of the best pass-first right-handers this game has ever seen. And working with the likes of Dan Dawson and Kyle Buchanan on that right-hand side keeps him fresh. Doesn't, he doesn't have to go out every shift. He doesn't have to be relied upon to be the number one guy, even though he is leading this team in points. But with the youthfulness of Stotts, Jackson, Evans, Kiernan, Reinholdt, those guys are giving youthful energy to the savvy vets. And that just allows them to work together in an incredible fashion and have a ton of fun much like the Buffalo Bandits are doing. And when teams are winning and teams are having fun, there is no better culture to be a part of. And how much fun is it to be at a game in San Diego? Afterwards, their postgame is in a parking lot. It doesn't get much better than that. I would be very afraid to face the Seals in the playoffs Unfortunately, like I said, their final six games are no easy cakewalk. So sure, they could definitely go on a run here and climb themselves even further ahead in the West standings, but they can't rest on their laurels. They can't look at the stats and say, hey, we're safe. It's going to be a tough road to hoe. But they've already clinched a playoff spot. That's the first check mark off the box. Second check mark will be to secure a home playoff game. Third will be to get the number one seed in the West. Fourth check mark, number one overall in the entire league. All of those things are possible, but it's not going to be easy. But it's incredible to see the two differences between the Seals and the Philadelphia Wings. Complete polar opposites. Seals trying to become the number one team overall, and Philadelphia trying to avoid getting the first overall pick in the entry draft. I'm sure they wouldn't mind it, but in their first year, probably not what they had hoped. But still a lot of lacrosse to be played as we enter week 16 in the National Lacrosse League. Uh, before we move on from the Seals, one last thing. Got to give a big shout-out to Dan Dawson who has moved himself into fourth place all-time in NLL scoring. He passed his coach and friend, and a few times teammate, Josh Sanderson. And Dawes has now 1,358 total points. He could catch Colin Doyle this year if he gets another, what's that, 26 points over their last six games. That's possible. Going to be tough to catch Grant and Tavares over the next little while, but you give Dawson a couple more years, he could definitely catch Junes. But I don't think anybody ever 
is going to catch John Tavares' 1,749 points. But a big congratulations to Dan Dawson. Congratulations goes to Dane Doby, who moved into 15th place all-time, surpassing Blaine Manning. Dane Doby now has 835 points in his illustrious career in the National Lacrosse League. Um, good buddy Paul Day, who was on the show a couple weeks ago, he now moves into a tie for sixth place with the late Chris Hall for all-time coaching wins. Uh, they both have 85 career wins. Of course, the Wings picking up a massive victory, 13-8, 13-8 over New England on Saturday. That keeps their slim playoff hopes alive. And it's crazy to think that New England, without Callum Crawford, only put up eight goals. No, it's not really that crazy. They miss Callum Crawford. They truly, truly miss Callum Crawford. And they're going to get him back. This was the last game they'd be without him. So they're going to get Callum back for their final final five games where they have to play Rochester, San Diego at home before they finish up the year at Toronto, at Buffalo, at Rochester. They are still in a spot, a very enviable spot. They're four games up on Philadelphia, five up on Rochester. So they shouldn't really be in any danger of missing the playoffs, especially now that they are going to get Callum back. They'll play Rochester this weekend at home. And I believe a win over Rochester will eliminate the Nighthawks and put Philadelphia in a very tough hole. The East is a little more clearer than the West. We'll talk about the West after we get a chat with Smoke and Pat. Every week, we take a peek around the NLL. So many stories to tell. Let's hope our guest gives us more than stats. It's time for a chat. Listening to the sounds of me singing a rap song means Pat Gregoire is back from Dallas, back from his worldly travels, and uh, making an appearance right here on the Off the Crossbar podcast. Smoking Pat, how are you? I'm doing great, feeling better being back on the podcast, and feeling even better now that it's officially uh, a lacrosse flash podcast. Welcome to the team, brother. Thanks, man. I appreciate you, Tyson, Chuck, having me. It's uh, great to be part of the family. Um, What the heck were you doing in Dallas? So, uh, as you mentioned before, working with Elite Sports Tours, the biggest uh, sports travel company in North America, we were actually brought down to uh, Texas, uh, Dallas, Arlington, and Fort Worth uh, for a little bit of a familiarization tour. So they brought us down, traveled Texas to kind of check out the sights and sounds of Dallas and see what they have to offer. And I got to say, uh, I know there's been some rumblings and rumors that uh, Dallas is on the radar, maybe even Houston in the National Lacrosse League. Uh, Dallas seems like it would be a perfect spot for the NLL. Is everything bigger down there, like they say? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. You got to see Jerry's world. Yeah, oh, God, speaking of bigger. Yeah, that, that, place, <laughs> that place is unbelievable. It, it's remarkable. Uh, just down to every single detail. They, they thought of 
what needed to go into it and how to tie it with the Cowboys and with football. It, it's a tremendous building, and we we were just there for a tour, but I got to get down there for an actual game itself. Yeah. Well, um, let's kind of focus on the cross because here on the sorry, off the cross our podcast, that's what we do, as they say. Uh, the Toronto Rock um, scored 11 goals in two games. Um, Eli McLaughlin had 12 points in one game. Uh, what's going on with Toronto? Yeah, it, I definitely think there are some causes for concern, considering what we've seen from this unit uh, this year and even last year. Uh, but for me, I mean, let's first off, let's give them a little bit of a benefit of the doubt. Uh, they did run into two really hot goalies. Uh, you know, Mike Poulin had probably one of the best games of, of his career, definitely this year. Uh, Matt Vince was solid as always, 36 saves on 42 shots. But with that being said, you can't really just blame it on hot goaltending. The offense just really hasn't looked like themselves since that New England game, and that correlates to not having Adam Jones in the lineup. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and I think with Jonesy out of the lineup, those lefties are really just not dangerous. Uh, They've got a lot of secondary pieces. They've got a lot of guys that can contribute, uh, but they're very easy to shut down. Uh, And what teams are now doing is they're keying in on Hellier and Schreiber and inviting other teams to say, or, uh, you know, those other players on the left-handed side to say, beat us this way. And the lefties kind of were flogging shots from the outside. They weren't being dangerous. Uh, They were just settling for those low percentage shots. Uh, And then you look at the end of the game, uh, they just weren't able to muster up enough offense. And I mean, even if you look at it as well, I know Slade did go out the O'Dor in that second game, but five of their 11 or sorry, five of their 12 goals this weekend came from defenders. Uh, not just in transition. Challen Rogers had a couple of goals where he stayed up on offense. They try to figure things out. So, yeah, you know what? That's great when your deep is getting involved in scoring, uh, but you need your offense to be doing that as well. Uh, I don't think it's time to hit the panic button by any stretch of the imagination, uh, but if you're a Toronto Rock fan, you are praying that Adam Jones is coming back soon because he definitely adds a complete different dynamic to that offense. Do we have an update on Jonesy? If he'll be back to the Rock, placed him on the IR uh, last week. Do we know if he's going to be back anytime soon? As far as I know, it's not uh, anything too, too serious. I know on Instagram he posted the other day he went for a run, which is a great thing, but obviously cutting, uh, and, you know, and those agility movements that players make, that's the real concern with um, they're just calling it a lower body injury. Uh, but the fact that he's running – uh, he's staying active. That's a great thing for the Toronto Rock. Uh, I don't know if he's going to be back this weekend. As far as I've seen, he's still on the IR. Uh, but from what I know, it's it's nothing too long-term. They they beat Saskatchewan and they beat San Diego at the start of February, and everybody thought this team was right where they needed to be. They were on a four-game winning, five-game winning streak, six-game winning streak going back all the way to Philadelphia, the Philadelphia game. Is it as simple as Adam Jones being out, or do you think there's other concerns with this team um, that should make Rock fans worse? Well, I think one concern, and it really wasn't the case on Saturday night, uh, but from some of the other losses that they've kind of piled up here in the last little stretch, if Nick Rose isn't on his game, this this team's yeah. not winning. Yeah. Uh, they're a completely different defense 
uh, when Nick Rose isn't seeing the ball. And against Georgia, he was not seeing the ball. Uh, the Rock, the way they like to play defense, they want Rosie to see all the outside shots, let him see that, uh, and really contain to the outside, force teams into bad shots. And obviously you're going to have your breakdowns, and Nick Rose is going to come up and stand on his head and make some acrobatic saves, uh, which we saw him do on Saturday night. But against Georgia, he was not doing that. Uh, you know, against New England, we didn't see the best of Rose there as well. Uh, even in Colorado, it wasn't his best, uh, his best effort any stretch of the imagination. He'll be the first one to tell you in Georgia, I mean, even after the postgame, he did say that was not his best effort. He did not have a good showing. He bounced back big uh, Saturday, but his team didn't have the same effort that he had out the front door. Uh, but I think we talked about it a few times already, Teddy, on this podcast. He is an MVP uh, caliber goalie when he's on, on, on his top of his game. And I think his value shows just as much as, you know what, maybe this is a very good team. You know, they are a top team. But the reason or one of the main reasons they're a top team is because they have a, a top goalie in Nick Rose. Yeah, and, and when he's not on his game, they're in trouble. They're very average. And I think yeah. the way their defense plays – they're predicated to allow those outside shots for Nick Rose to gobble up. Uh, and they were giving up those outside shots, but Rose wasn't stopping them. Mammoth and Warriors played a home-and-home home Friday and Saturday. And the game Friday night in Vancouver uh, was a fantastic game with Colorado pulling it out late uh, in that fourth quarter. But the game on Saturday in Denver was a complete landslide. Um, was that a case of Colorado finally finding their groove, or was it them taking advantage of a weaker, lesser Vancouver team? I think, you know, the the pessimistic side of of me maybe would say uh, they're just capitalizing on a Vancouver team that, you know, just isn't quite there yet. But uh, for me, I do think that everything is coming together for this mammoth team. The offense is flourishing, playing exactly like how Sean Williams expected these guys to play. Uh, They're swinging the ball east to west. They're crashing and banging north-south. Their feet just seem to be moving at all times. They're going to the middle. They're crashing the net. And that's a a Willie style of offense. And that's what he tried to uh, implement at the start of the year. And it just really wasn't coming. And then, obviously, you've already mentioned him, the Liger. He's been unbelievable uh, 12 points in that one game. Kyle Killen uh, is a budding superstar in his own. Uh, Jeff Wittick, he's a guy that you know really looks like he's going to be a, a legitimate power forward in this league. Uh, but the thing that no one's really talking about, because we know how well the offense is playing, but it's actually the defense has been mm-hmm. tremendous over this last little stretch. Uh, they've only given up 20 goals in the past three games, which is the fewest by any team in that amount of time. Uh, the the best before that was 21 by the Roughnecks at the start of the season in uh, December and January. That's that compliments of Adam Levy. So thank you mm-hmm. very much for that. That that and that is kind of interesting because when I saw that tweet, I did think I was like, oh wow, like of course their defense has has been playing great, but you kind of look at the last few wins and it, the aha moment has been, uh, here we go, the offense has finally arrived. Now we see these young superstars taking over. We see these fast offensive forwards uh, really come together. But at the end of the day, now we're really seeing what the Mammoth have been able to do out the back door, which has allowed them to be a, you know, a top team in this league. 
and now you kind of put both of them together at the same time. We know that the Mammoths in years past have been a team that's come hot out the gates, played really strong, and then heading into playoffs, play has fallen apart. So maybe they've gone through their slump at the right time of the year, and they're hitting their stride heading into the postseason. Yeah, unfortunately, their their stretch in the last four games isn't the easiest. The rush twice, San Diego, and then a home game against Rochester. So a tough last four games for Colorado. Uh, before we get to the San Diego Seals, quickly, um, the Vancouver Warriors offense was completely non-existent on Saturday. How much of a worry is it for them that in their two games they only scored 11 goals? Yeah, it, it's it's very concerning, and obviously – they're a similar situation like the rock where, you know, you could say that they ran into a couple of hot goalies. Cause I mean, deep played incredible uh, on Saturday night and Dylan Ward was no slouch the night before that as well. Uh, but with that being said, I, I mean, it, it just, that offense looked like they could muster up anything. Uh, I know the mammoth defense played well. They were forcing them to outside shots, but I don't know what it is because we have seen flashes of brilliance from this offense at times. Uh, They just look completely out of sync. They weren't really getting any transition offense going, which they have so many athletic players out the back door. I think if they're going to be successful, that that defense has to chip in offensively to kind of help out their offense. And we just definitely didn't see that. And I, I mean, you see Colorado kind of traject the up, up ways. And we saw Vancouver, you know, obviously not racking up wins, but they, they've been battling with close games and they've shown some promise and growth. But now it seems to seem like they're not even just plateauing. It seems like they're getting worse. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's an issue. And, and they're almost regressing to the old Vancouver stealth ways. Um, exactly. Crazy enough, the San Diego Steelers are the first team in the West to clinch a playoff spot. I'm not sure many people – would have predicted that outside of maybe the Seals locker room. But as this team gets better, as they get more comfortable with each other, as they get more cohesion between the group and they play these final six games moving to the playoffs, is this a team that really can contend for an NLL Cup this year? I I certainly think so. And especially when you consider the uncertainty in between the pipes in Saskatchewan, I I think you've got to have them as maybe not the contender. And I don't really think – there is a clear-cut contender in the West, but they're definitely in the mix. And if you you know, put a gun in my head right now and had to pick someone, I, 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 I'd be really, really hard-pressed not to pick them right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, the offense, especially over the last few weeks, has looked unbelievable, led by a, a few uh, veterans. Uh, Garrett Buildings, I mean, this guy's playing vintage uh, lacrosse right now. Uh, 28 points in the month of March over five games. Dan Dawson's been great as well. I think 22 points in March as well. And then obviously the youngsters, uh, Austin Stotts has been unbelievable all season long. Uh, But I I thought the cannon was really strong last game, Uh, a loose ball machine as well, but he also put up eight points. Uh, And when you can have a guy like him go off every so often as well, that's going to help you out. But the big thing for me, for them being contenders, is uh, in between the pipes. And Mm -hmm. Frankie Shiliano has been that X factor. Uh, You know, when the defense has kind of faltered, he's come up with big saves. When the offense has gone dry, he's held down the fort, allow the offense to figure things out. And he's making those saves in the key moments, whether it be at the end of the second quarter, heading into the 
uh, into halftime or, you know, in the fourth quarter when they needed the most, he's making those big saves. Besides him having some of the best numbers amongst all the National Lacrosse League goaltenders, uh, we've seen him carry the Berards to Man Cup finals, and we've seen him go on miraculous runs uh, with Maple Ridge. But it's now time to see if he can do the same thing at the pro level with the Seals. Yeah, and I think, you know, a lot of people were interested to see how he would do this year in San Diego, you know, moving from Calgary down, losing the number one spot to Christian Del Bianco, how he would rebound. And he has been lights out fantastic. And you mentioned late in the fourth quarter this past weekend, they gave a couple transition opportunities late in that game. And Frankie was as big and tall as he could be and made those saves, just really held on to that win late. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, that's the thing. I said when the defense falters, I mean, even when the offense falters, Mm -hmm. like you said, yeah, giving up those transition opportunities. And and that's just such a swing in the momentum. Uh, You know, when when a team comes down there, scores a big transition goal, especially a team like uh, the Saskatchewan Rush, who, who have so much firepower out the back door, uh, and for for Frankie to be able to stand strong, make those final fourth quarter saves, come up in the clutch, it's huge. It, it's it's so big. And that and the big thing for me for him this season has been the consistency because even at the National Lacrosse League level, we've seen him have some good games. We've seen him have good stretches. It's the consistency that was really the knock against him. Well, this year he's been very consistent with maybe a sprinkle, a couple of okay games here and there. Um, you know, from start to finish, I mean, he has been tremendous. And I think if this Seals team is going to do the unthinkable and go all the way to the championship, he's going to be the MVP of that team. They are the Las Vegas Knights of the National yeah. Lacrosse aren't they? Yep, they, they are. They are. And, I mean, I'll be, I'll be honest. I had them, you know, down near the bottom – of of uh, my predictions at the start of the year, I hate those things anyways, but I still have to do them. And that's why I hate them, because you just never know. You you put a bunch of veteran uh, players into that locker with, a, you know, a generational talent like Austin Stotts. You know, you have some Americans, uh, some athletic Americans out the back door. Uh, and then you have a guy in Frankie Chiliano who's trying to prove that he's an elite goaltender in the National Lacrosse League because we've seen what he's done in the summer and everyone still had question marks about him. He loses his job. Well, that big chip on his shoulder has allowed him to be an unbelievable goalie this year. And who knows, might lead his team to a first place finish in the West. That would be absolutely incredible. Um, One last last thing for you. Um, Have you gotten Tyson tickets yet to go see Mason Ramsey at the Big Sky Music Fest? (laughs) I haven't yet. Maybe. maybe Let's get sport tours on this and let's get. I was just going to say, I was just going to say, we need to make this happen. It absolutely needs to happen. I think Tyson and I are maybe number one, two, one A, one B, biggest Mason Ramsey fans in Canada. So I think. I think we got to make this happen. All I do is sit inside. I am all that last long day. She said goodbye. Well, I thought I would cry. She'll burn me, she'll burn you. She's got the kind of love and I'd love to hear when she got my sweet daddy. I can just see Tyson Geik and Pat Gregoire. Cowboy boots, cowboy hat. 
collars, bolo tie, little piece of straw out the mouth, thumbs in their belt loops, rocking out to some Mason Ramsey. Thanks to Patty Gregoire for checking back in. Uh, always appreciated having him on the show. Great insights, as always, with the Toronto Rock. And it's interesting to see, like we talked about, when you take Adam Jones out of that lineup, how much it affects the depth and scoring ability of that Toronto Rock group. And a lot of people thought that if you were to take Ryan Banesh and Jeremy Noble out of the Colorado Mammoth offense, that that group would struggle. Nay, no. Niche, niche, as they say. The Colorado Mammoth have won three straight. Calgary, and then two over Vancouver this past weekend. And sure, there's been a lot of behind-the-back goals and a lot of high-intensity plays from this offensive group, and it's been incredible. But overall, this team is starting to come together. And this group is playing at a level we haven't seen from them all year. They're playing with a ton of confidence. It's just very, very unfortunate that they have a bye this weekend. Maybe it's a good thing. Allow some bodies to rest up and heal up. But if you're one of those guys out that front door, you really wish you could get back at it this weekend. Keep things rolling. They went into Vancouver on Friday night and got a bit of a slow start to their first quarter, but finally started to get the wheels rolling. They had their best first quarter all year Friday night when they put up four goals in Vancouver. They battled back and forth with Vancouver all game. Neither team could really pull away as that game went on, but it wasn't until the fourth quarter where Colorado rattled off three straight from Killen, Vitarelli, and the flying Ryan Lee that they really were able to put that game out of control. And what I like most about the way Colorado was playing is that, that, that not just they're putting up goals offensively better than they have all year. As Pat mentioned just a minute ago, the defense is playing at a much higher level. And I don't want to say that the only reason has become or is because of Ian Lord, but Ian Lord has been great in the few games that he has been brought on. He has added some size, toughness, and grit. We all knew that. But it just adds a little more calming presence out of that back end and allows both Dylan Ward and Steve Fryer, whoever may happen to be between the pipes, play a little more aggressively and a little more confidently when the defense in front of them are playing with that type of confidence. And the game plans that Andrew McBride and Pat Coyle have been coming up with over this three-game stretch to limit the scoring opportunities for the likes of Dixon and Dutch and Shuss and Jones and Jordan McBride and Keegan Ball and Dane Doby, even when they played Georgia, the ability to shut down Lyle Thompson, they're starting to understand where to put guys and put them in tough positions. And then when they came back Saturday night for the rematch in that home-and-home with the Warriors, I never would have imagined it would have ended the way that it did. When Kyle Killen scored with about three minutes or so left in that first quarter to give Colorado a 3-2 lead, I thought, okay, second game in a row, they've had a first-quarter lead. They're usually good when they lead after the first quarter. 
But then they rattled off seven straight, including that ridiculous behind-the-back power play goal from Kyle Killen. But they get goals from Vitarelli, McLaughlin, two from Killen, Wardle, Vitarelli in the span of 12 minutes. And they blew that game wide open, and there was no chance for Vancouver to get themselves back in that game. There was no true desire or fight left in that Warriors group. Now, I'm not saying that they weren't competing and they weren't trying. I don't need Vancouver people calling me and texting me, reaming me out for what I've just said. But truly, when you looked at that group, they were a defeated group by the time they got to halftime. And when they came out of the halftime break, they gave up two goals in the third quarter. They get outscored 4-1 to one over the final 30 minutes. They just didn't seem to have it. They didn't have an answer for Steve Fryer. They didn't have an answer for the Colorado defense. And they didn't have an answer for Colorado's offense. The biggest question I had during that game and I still don't know the answer to it. Maybe one day I'll get it. But when your team has given up three straight, four, five, six, seven straight goals, and you do not once go for a goalie change, something is in the weeds there. Now, it may have been Chris Gill and Aaron Bold had a coach-player handshake deal where they said, hey, you know what? This is your game. You're going to play all 60 minutes no matter what happens. Maybe that was the case. And if that's the case, kudos to Aaron Bold for continuing to put up the good fight and stay between those pipes. Even if that wasn't the deal, you got to respect Aaron Bold for continuing to battle in that situation. But it must have been really frustrating for that Warriors group. They just couldn't do anything right. Colorado stymied them all over the floor. Everything that they did. The only real success Vancouver had was on the power play where they went two for three. Colorado outshot them. They outloose balled them. They outface off them. They outworked them all night. Over two games, they outworked them. To the tune that Vancouver only scored 11 goals in back-to-back nights. It was a huge moment for the Colorado Mammoth. They beat them twice. They take a two-game lead in the standings. They put themselves in a prime position to make a run for the playoffs. And this is where things get interesting in the West. So let's look at the Western team's final few games. We already talked about San Diego and their final six. They do not have an easy schedule. Let's start with Vancouver. They have four games left. This weekend, they're in Saskatchewan, a very tough place to play. However, then they go back home and take on Philadelphia. They go on the road to take on Rochester, the two worst teams statistically in the National Lacrosse League right now, before they return home to take on a Toronto team that is struggling currently by the time it's April 26th. Those, that could be different. And really, at that time, Toronto could be playing for either their playoff life or seedings. Vancouver has, if you look at it, a fairly easy schedule in the middle of those four games, Philadelphia and Rochester. But this weekend against Saskatchewan is a massive 
massive one for the Warriors. A loss really puts them behind the eight ball. Now, for the Mammoth, they may have one of the toughest Final Four games. They're off this weekend, so they get a bye. They can rest up, refuel, recharge, and get ready for this final four weeks where they are at home to Saskatchewan, at home to Rochester, before going on the road at San Diego and then at the Rush to finish the season. That is no easy task. Not at all. And that's why this weekend against Vancouver was so important for the Mammoth so that they could get that separation heading into that tough final four-game stretch. The two-game cushion they have right now is the best thing going for the Colorado Mammoth heading into the bye weekend. As for the rush, we mentioned they are two games back of the San Diego Seals. They're tied for second right now with Calgary. They're at home to Vancouver this weekend. They go to Colorado on the 6th of April. Then they have an incredibly tough travel doubleheader on the weekend of April 12th and 13th. They're in San Diego on the Friday to take on the Seals. Then they have to get on a plane probably early, early, early the next morning, probably fly to Vancouver from Vancouver to Saskatoon before playing Philadelphia Saturday night at home. The next weekend, they're on the road to Calgary before finishing up at home against the Colorado Mammoth. Those two games will be huge down the stretch for the rush as it will most likely start to decide playoff seedings for those top four teams out west. Finally, we have Calgary. They have four games left. And they, too, have a very, very tough schedule. They are at home. This weekend to the Seals before they go on the road to Philadelphia April 6th. And then they finish at home with Georgia and Saskatchewan. Four games left. A definite chance for this group to gain some momentum at home against San Diego. But a loss, who knows? It's crazy to think that throughout the West, the seedings can change so much. And I believe Graham Perro put out an article this week about the opportunities and possibilities of teams being able to go from last place in their division all the way to first place in their division. It's possible, and it could happen, and it could happen is the name of the article he wrote. Go to nllchatter.com and you can find uh, Graham Perro's breakdown of how it could all go down, and there are a ton of things and it is true, but the Warriors could technically still win the NLL West. So this weekend, we have a very quiet weekend in the National Crossing. Just four games. Three Saturday, one on Sunday. Philly at Toronto. Seals at Roughnecks. Warriors at Rush. Rochester at New England. Of course, as always, all games live on BR Live. Check it out. Get the app. Get it on your laptop, computer, mobile, whatever you want. And make sure you're up to date on everything that's going on in the National Lacrosse League. Now, the big story surrounding the National Lacrosse League over the past few weeks has been the Callum Crawford situation. We all know where we're at with it. And 95% of lacrosse people aren't happy. The 5% are New England Black Wolves fans and players. 
if you have been living under a rock, Callum Crawford received a second match penalty. The match penalty was upheld. It was deemed a match penalty. But for some reason, the hearing officer, Andrew Brandt, decided in his way that Callum Crawford wasn't to serve the additional five games that Rule 41.4 dictate. Rule 41.4 within the National Lacrosse League rule book under the match penalty ruling, we've talked about it before. Any player who has assessed a second match penalty, a second dangerous contact to the head penalty, or a combination thereof within a two-year period shall be assessed an additional five-game suspension. Then it goes on to say if it's three match penalties within three years, sorry, within two years, it's a 10-game suspension. Now, everybody has been up in arms over the ruling. And if you listen to Lax Classified on Tuesday, uh, they had Jason Jaros on, who is a PLPA representative, general counsel. Uh, he, I believe, was in the meeting um, that involved Callum Crawford and everything that, everything that went on in that hearing process. Um, it's a great interview. Unfortunately, it doesn't answer any questions, really. It's still very clouded. It's still very confusing. And truthfully, it opens up more cans of worms than it closed. Rule 41.4 is going to be reviewed in the offseason. I have a feeling it's going to get amended. And honestly, I think it needs to be amended. One of the rulings in Andrew Brandt's dictation of the case was that it didn't fit the crime for Callum Crawford to sit out 30% of the season. And I can understand that. That is one of the things where Rule 41.4, I would like to see changed. I truly believe adding on an additional five games is too much. If you're going to give them a one-game suspension for that match penalty, then being a repeat offender your second time, I believe and I know a few other people feel this way as well, that a fit punishment would be three games if you're a repeat offender. Then if you get a third one, then it can go to five games. I think, like, put it this way. If Callum Crawford does it again and gets a third match penalty within that two-year span, he would get 10 games. That's still a little harsh. So I think Rule 41.4, again, I talked to, to Commissioner Nick Sakevich. He confirmed that they are going to look at this rule in the offseason. Um, people around the NLL, uh, within the league, like the executive board of governors, a lot of them weren't happy with the way this ruling came out. Obviously, again, Black Wolves people um, happy because they're going to get Crawford back in the lineup. But the NLL was... Really, it was it was out of their hands. As soon as it goes to a hearing officer, they can't do anything. It's up to the arbitrator. And as much as most of us didn't approve and or agree with the arbitrator's ruling, that's the way we have to go. 
So in future, as this league goes on and they continue to have a focus on headshots and player safety, I think Rule 41.4 does need to be amended. I think they should go from five games to three games and then from ten down to five. But it really made no sense for them to repeal the additional five-game suspension. There is no precedent to do that. The precedent was set when they gave Greg Harnett five games last year, or maybe it was two years ago. Whenever they did the Harnett ruling and he got five games for his second match penalty, that was the precedent set. Callum Crawford made two in back-to-back seasons bonehead ridiculous plays where he turns his back, jumps, and throws an elbow at a defenseless player's head. I truly have no idea how the hearing officer, Andrew Brandt, came out with his ruling. None of it makes sense to me. And it's a shame that this has gone the way that it has because, as many people have pointed out, it could very well open up the door on headshots. I don't think it will because I think too many of the players in this league have enough respect for each other that guys aren't going headhunting and they're not saying in the back of my mind, oh, well, Callum Crawford got off. I'm just going to go run this dude into the boards and there's going to be no consequences. I don't think that's the case. But if the opportunity came for someone who was now in this position and they get their second match, all they have to do is say, well, look, Callum Crawford got off. I should be able to get off too. It is a tough spot to be in for this league. It's not the press that they want. It's not the look that they want. But again, as soon as it went to the arbitrator, it was out of their hands. And I truly don't know why the first hearing officer didn't rule properly the first time. I don't know why he passed it on to a second arbitrator. It made no sense. I don't know why it took as long as it did. Um, Again, Jason Jaros uh, kind of explained the process with Jake Elliott and Evan on the Lax Class podcast. He explained it. You know, there there is due process. They they have to put in the request for appeal so they can get all the evidence. They have to make sure that all the parties are present. I still don't understand why Brad Cree wasn't part of the process. That made no sense to me. There was just there's just so many questions still unanswered. And hopefully we can all move on from this. But it really does put a minor asterisk on this whole season for Callum Crawford. I'm a big Callum Crawford fan. You've heard him number of times on this show. But it's just very unfortunate that he now becomes the poster child of getting out of being a repeat offender. So when the Board of Governors and um, the Competition Committee come together during the offseason. This rule will be on the table. They are going to scrutinize it endlessly. And they're going to have to come up with a way that makes it more reasonable. 
And like I said, I have the feeling that if you're going to give a one-game suspension for a match, when you get your second match penalty within two years, it's a game for the match and then three additional games for being a repeat offender. And then it goes from three to five, and then you can go five to ten if someone is just a horrible case of offenses. But if you go one, five, ten, that's a massive jump. Maybe if the NLL becomes a league where, like the NHL, where we're an 82-game schedule and a five-game suspension is like 4% of the season, I get it. And that was one of Andrew Brandt's um, arguments was that to take Crawford out for 30% of the year, that's a tough pill to swallow. And I agree with that. What I don't agree with is the rumors that Callum Crawford's livelihood and the salary that he was going to be missing and the effect that it was going to take on his family. I don't buy that. That shouldn't be an excuse. That shouldn't be a reason to lessen a player's suspension because of what he did or what he has off the floor. As the old saying goes, you can't do the time, don't do the crime. And Callum Crawford did it twice, and somehow, some way, he only is going to serve two games. Blows my mind. I hope, for everybody's sake, when we come to this next year, and it's probably going to happen, that we don't run into this situation again and we get a proper ruling on what it means to be a repeat offender and we have a punishment that fits the crime. That'll about do it here for another episode of the Off the Crossbar podcast here on SoundCloud, NLL Radio, and the Lacrosse Flash. Stay tuned for more um, as we get more comfortable with each other. Myself, Tyson, um, Patty Gregoire, and the rest of the Flash family will be putting out uh, content as we go on. We're all trying to make sure we give you the best of the best as we talk lacrosse because it's what we do. Thanks to Pat Gregoire. Thanks to Dane Smith. And as always, thank you to you, the loyal listener, for tuning in once again here to the Off the Crossbar podcast. My name is Teddy Jenner. Teddy.jenner at gmail.com is the email. You can find me there or on Twitter at Off the Crossbar. Four games this weekend. Enjoy them. Check out BR Live and come back next Tuesday for another episode of the OTCB podcast. Until then, be excellent to each other.